and now you're not going to get it. So that's stupid. But cutting it and increasing defense or the military, it just doesn't make sense to me. We're not in any wars. Like that trillions of dollars that goes into our military complex should be coming back to us to to create the safety net of peace and prosperity. You know what I mean? Should be, absolutely. I don't disagree with that that's one the, bit. That's the balance, I think. We're either at war and we are all struggling together or we're going for peace and prosperity and we're lifting everyone up. And that's what the safety net does. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Disability, all of those programs. It is time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land. The of promised speaking land, the truth the land. and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. Of conscience. Because conscience. that is how it works. This is the beginning. It is not the finale. And that's why we're here. And that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority. A way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. Hey, buddy. What's up? <laughs> I was in the middle of getting distracted. I forgot to turn my light on. I was asking somebody something on Twitter. I heard the ding and I was like, ooh, it's on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Public Access America. His name is the great Jeffrey. My name is Jason. We have a poll question going on on our chat on YouTube at Public Access America. Should we talk about national politics or community advocacy? We have some topics in our note, but we're just really going to see where the conversation goes as we always do. We have a question. The first question in our chat is, I'm going to ask Jeffrey, is there a food that makes you happy? Um, food. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, like, I have an irrational love of pizza. Mm. And I blame the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for that. <laughs> I swore you were going to go with schnitzel. <laughs> oh, I mean, I love schnitzel, too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, I absolutely love schnitzel. But no, uh, pizza. Pizza is the winner for me because there's so much you can do with pizza, and it's delicious. Well, then let me ask you this question on the great pizza debate. What kind of... what? style of pizza is it that washington state has um i mean you've got commercial chains you've got small little mom and pop you've got fire you know uh brick fire pizza there's there's a few different options in there so it's just really a question of you know what are you looking for Mm, that's true Ezric always says that like new york style pizza the big big slices is the way to go and i think that deep dish pizza like stacked up on a solid crust is the way to go and detroit says make it all crust and just throw it in the grill you know what i mean so i i love pizza unfortunately uh tallahassee's pizza is like a bread bowl with some pizza in the middle you know and it's really just Mm. gross it's like eating a pizza on a bun it's weird it's just bad. Oh, so they've got like that weird, super thick crust pizza. Yeah. Oh, makes me want to vomit. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing is like, I love like a good crusty pizza, but like when it's like, okay, here's a little sauce and cheese and oh yeah, by the way, you're just eating bread. That's not pizza. Yeah. No, that's just a bread bowl. Did anybody inspire you this week, Jeffrey? Um, Any positivity in, in the outlook in the conversation coming up? Yeah, I'm hitting you with that spontaneously. Yeah. I know you like um, that, though. I think it's like a, we both consider this like a challenge. Can we actually do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't I have mean, any real answer to that if it helps. Yeah. I mean, you know, just. Uh... Wow. Damn, you got me with a good one there right away. Right. Um, I like that. I think, I think, I think, um, you know, just couple people that i've been visiting with um you know being willing to be open with their communication and and mm-hmm. you know talk about what's going on in their life and um you know how do you how do you make it how do you make your life better when you know sometimes it feels like you know your world is falling down around you 
Right. How do you do that? What I do is I simplify my outlook and I concentrate on a single task as opposed to like the entire list. You know, mm-hmm. what I always say is when life isn't confusing, look to the sky for your future. But when life is, when the atmosphere is filled with crap, look at your path, look down at your feet and just follow them. You know what I mean? I was, so I was taught um, a, what I call a bucket method. And this one's really kind of fun in that, like, it forces you to look at everything that you've got going on and really categorize the things that you have going on. So like the first category are things I can do something about right now. Uh, so let's say uh, you know, you're hungry, go grab something out of the fridge, grab mm-hmm. a snack, grab something. Um, or, you know, Hey, I'm out in public and my car is low on gas, go get gas. Now, you have the second category, which are things I can do something about, but it's going to take some time. Mm. So this is things like, uh, I need to get new tires on my car. You know, this is something that you can definitely, you know, do, but it's just that recognition that, you know, maybe you got to save up some funds to get new tires. Right. Um, but it makes the list, but it makes the list toward the bottom, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, you're going to have a number of things that are going to be in that, you know, things I can do something about, mm. uh, but not right now. And that's where it gets kind of tough is, is that it forces you to objectively look at all of these things that, you know, you think, um, that you, you think are impossible and then realize that they're not impossible. It's just, you know, unfortunately you've, you have to take some time in order to figure it out. Those things where you're like, I think I need help with this. I think I need help with this. I'll wait for the help. And then eventually time comes and you're like, I guess I got to do it by myself. And it becomes a priority. Right. Yeah. And then you have the final one, which is stuff I can do nothing about. Um, These are things that are completely out of your hands. And, you know, there is next to nothing that, you know, you're going to be able to do about it. um, If anything at all, period. And, And these are the ones that you have to learn to let go of. Um, because you're wasting time and energy on something that literally has nothing to do. So for example, um, the fact that, you know, inflation seems to be going out of control, it's stressful. Absolutely. But there is next to nothing you can do about it, except for, you know, vote in different politicians who have a different plan or, um, you know, world instability with, um, you know, Ukraine, Russia, China, Taiwan, things like that. There's nothing you're going to be able to do about that, except for, you know, vote politicians in that are going to prioritize diplomacy. And even then, you know, that's still well out of your hands. And so, and so finding out what those things are and objectively, you know, finding out if you have anything that you can do about it. Um, One that I always constantly go with is, um, you know, you've applied for a job, you know, don't stress about the job that you've applied for because it's not up to you whether or not you get an interview in a lot of cases, you know, there are things that you can do like, you know, prove, you know, seek out some help to improve your resume. Um, try and get yourself, uh, you know, prepared for in-person interviews or web, you know, zoom interviews, things like that. Don't get tangled but, up in the possibilities of futures as a reality they need to battle with at that moment, don't they? Right. You know, so so those those are the things that are like things I can do something about either right now or things I, that I can, you know, do something about, but it's going to take a little time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you have interviewed and you're waiting on, you know, that whole, you know, am I going to get hired by this organization? There's nothing you can do about that, you know there's you don't have any hand in them choosing you you know if you've put your best forward there's that's literally all you can do and then from there it's you just have to move on to you know the next job application the next uh interview and just keep going from there because if you hold yourself up waiting uh, you know thinking that you know this is going to be it this is going to be the one and i've done this and this that and the other there's an entire possibility that you've missed out on a job opening that also would have done that for you, but you were hyper-focused on something that you now literally have no control over. All that back brain processing, like there's no reason for me to use my processing power 
that I use every day to do work on stuff like that. But I trust that my back brain is processing the factors and the tangibles mm-hmm. and the variants of everything that could go wrong or right. And the questions I could be asked in an interview and everything mm-hmm. that goes within that. But I put that in my back head, you know what I mean? I try to, my, my roommate had a question. He's like, should I go for this job or this job? And I said, it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of your choice is simply the job you have until the choice presents itself, but there's no reason in, in stressing every day or giving your boss notice about something you don't know about yet. So the choice isn't this mm-hmm. job or je- that job. It's this job or no job until the choice is this job or that job. And that's right. hard for people to understand. You know, I have the luxury of a stress-free life. So I'm kind of giving advice, looking down on people from a perspective I used to have of stress, you know? And, 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 you know, my advice comes from somebody who's had that stress, you know, and my, my, you know, my current realm is, is, it's a different stress, but, right but that, that, you know, hoping that you're going to get hired, you know, hoping that, you know, you've done everything to impress company A and company B and, you know, literally all you can do is be like, well, I gave them my best and they'll decide whether or not that's for them. And, I'm, you know, moving on to getting ready for company C and, and, you know, applying there in that interview. That interesting. So that leads me to the uh, topic. It leads me to a topic, but I had a question, but I'm going to go with the topic because it's a great segue. Do you feel a need to hide your disability in the workplace or in an application place? A lot of people have invisible disabilities, you know, and they're hideable. And we have a story here about a lady that hid her disability. She had a brain trauma and that led to a chronic condition and she hid it. And the symptoms looked like she was drunk at work all the time. And when she finally got the verbiage to stand up for herself is when she actually started getting respect in the workplace for it. And I thought that was a real interesting mm-hmm. story that I, I actually put the link to in our chat. So do you, do you, do you personally, or do you think that's something that people should or need to worry about? You know, that's, that's a really great question because, you know, here, you know, it's, you have this issue of, you know, employers cannot ask you really about disabilities, right? you know, and, and I get that, you know, because you don't, you know, you don't want to be weeded out based on a disability. And, and as an organization, you don't want to weed anybody out because of a disability, unless it's like, you know, unless there is like a significant issue with, you know, yeah. uh, with, you know, for example, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't even really give a good example. A fireman um, with no arms, right? Like you probably, probably not going to be a very helpful fireman. Right. It's, it should be second or third or fourth on the list of abilities to do the job. Right. If like somebody right. with one arm can, they can use a computer just fine. So let's get past that. But somebody with no arms trying to put out a fire, maybe not like, but let's try right. it, like give them the opportunity. But if you can hide it, like if it's somebody that just has a, uh, uh, sensitivity to smells, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is that something you can just hide and put up with in a workplace or is it something you can address? You well, know? you know, and that's, I, that's, uh, and that's where it gets kind of difficult. You mm-hmm. know, I've worked in places that have policies on, on things that, you know, using lotions and perfumes and things like that. It's, it's ultimately like I used to wear cologne every day and, and ultimately why I stopped was, you know, I had somebody that, I worked with somebody who had sensitivity to smell mm-hmm. and, you know, <clears throat> I didn't like, you know, do the whole teenage boy, you know, ax bomb myself, right. but, but my, you know, my cologne could definitely be, you know, a little potent. And for this person, it was, it was too potent. And right. it was like, you know, cause initially it's like, why is this my, you know, why is this my problem? This is a you problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, and then stepping back and thinking, that's like, well, you can't control what you can and can't smell, you know, for example, you know, because of, you know, my nose being the way that it is, I can't really smell anything unless yeah. it's like super powerful. Me too. And if, and if it's super powerful, uh, then, you know, it's either really good or really bad. That's true. Yeah. Years of working <laughs> so, with chemicals numbed my taste buds and my sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so, you know, there's, there's different disabilities, you know, everybody, everybody has the right to own their disability in a way that they see fit, Right. you know, 
Um, but do being, companies have a right to project or propel or promote you if they don't feel if they feel like you're going to be more of a burden because of your disability? Well, and that's and that's where you know uh, companies have an obligation to create objective performance reviews and actually carry out objective performance reviews because the thing the thing about doing what you're doing is is that everybody hits a level a top level of what they're capable of doing right and 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 that's where it's it's really tough is that you know as a company you have to set this as a as something objective that you know is not based on ability or disability but at the same time too you know there is you have to recognize that capability is a very different thing mm-hmm. and and opportunity you know, by the way yeah you know it, it's there's such a fine balance in how you approach promotion anyway or mm-hmm. should be because you know you don't want the top looking like a bunch of old white dudes right i mean but at the same time too you you also don't want to have the top be a bunch of people who, while they may be diverse, are incapable as as a whole. Exactly. You know that's and 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 I'm not saying that you know inclusion leads to incapability. I'm not saying that at all. It's it's that or you know it's that you have to understand, you know, the team that you have, the team that you're building. And, you know, making sure that you have the members that are going to work the best together and mm-hmm. get the most done. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, I think, creating a good culture, you have to have that diversity. You have to have it you know, in order to, you know, number one, have a, a workplace that people want to go to work. Yeah. But number two, that diversity leads to offering products and services that, you know, your public uh, consumer is going to want and need. Mm. And, you know, in some cases, uh, absolutely crucial they have access to. And so by having, you know, that level of diversity, that level of understanding and being surrounded by people who, you know, whose disabilities are seen and unseen and how that affects, you know, the people that are going to be your customers, it's crucial. So the moral of the story is, is, is that, yeah, you know, somebody who has no arms and wants to be a firefighter might not be, you know, it might not be within their realm, but there are certain things that that person is going to need to do on a daily basis. And the question is, is, you know, in your company, have you thought about that person, that person that has that disability and, you know, are they a part of your company? How, and have you, uh, have, have they reached out to you with specific accommodations that might make sense in, you know, for the greater public? That's where I was waiting for the conversation to go. I think having that discussion initially so that they can put it to bed and put that their concerns to rest to say, this is my disability, but this is how I think I can overcome it. Can I have the opportunity to try it? You know what I mean? I think companies should be excited. And I know that her employees, they're excited to help too. They just don't want it to be part of their job, but they're happy to assist somebody, you know, in moments they need it. I think, Mm -hmm. I think the inclusion opportunity, the opportunity is important. I don't think, I think, a disabled person doesn't want a job they can't do. They want to feel proud, but they also want to feel like they had the opportunity. So I don't mm-hmm. understand why you couldn't give them a shot like you do everybody else. And I think a lot of companies do. I think this this lady, she had the opportunity once she said there was things that were triggering her and she realized she could stand up and say, please stop swaying while we're talking or stop banging your foot on the ground. It's vibrating things, you know, like she had the right. verbiage to ask for what she wanted when initially she was just like, I don't know what's going on, you know? And so, right. I, 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 and, I like, I think that employee and employer should both research their, the disability and the accommodations in a meaningful Mm -hmm. way to address it in a meaningful way, instead of just assuming somebody with no arms can be, can't be a dispatcher for the fire department. Right. Exactly. You know, especially given the technology that we have, like, for example, um, one of my favorites has been, um, the adaptive controller, um, from Xbox, 
one that's meant for people who have disabilities. Nice. So they're able to use their feet to click buttons. They're able to use different, you know, mechanisms in order to, you know, play video games. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that in terms of, you know, adaptability, there's ways that you can be more adaptive in your work environment. Mm. That said, that said, um, one of the things that I think is important to, to really think about is, you know, this, this idea that everybody has to be accommodating, but nobody has to say anything or ask anything or, right. do anything. you know, that's, that's, that's the mind reader idea. It's like, look, you know, I get that a company cannot ask you about your disability, but at the same time too, you know, if you want accommodation, you have to be willing to sit down with your employer mm -hmm. or HR, you know, whatever, and say, this is my disability. This is what I need in order to be successful and help them understand that. Because, you know, there's you, you, the number of people with disabilities that might work at any given organization is, you know, a lot larger than you might think. And mm -hmm. everybody's needs are going to be different. There's, they're not, they may not have a use case for your scenario. And, you know, I, I hate to say that it becomes incumbent upon you to to help them understand that but at the right. same time it really does like you have to be willing to say this is what makes me successful and this is what i need in order to be successful right. and that's where it gets tough is is that you know I, we don't you know we don't want to feel like you know we have this crutch that is keeping us you know afloat mm -hmm. but at the same time too it's like there ain't nothing wrong with having a crutch either right when everybody else does you know like when when people say disability you say a lot of people in the workplace have a disability i think of course they do like vision is a spectrum and if you're not 2020 or like pitch black blind you're on the spectrum of having a visual impairment you know at the same with people they can reach a certain level of cognitive function before their brain just mm -hmm. says no <laughs> and like work the the workplace is full of accommodations for people they can barely do their jobs so including a, a somebody that's disabled but again it, this is a new frontier and i tell people all the time that disabilities people don't know about disabilities because we're really the first generation to be accepted outside of institutions you know and speak up right. about it but jay jay got an internship he's working on his master's got an internship they told him you're like one of the first disabled people we've ever had and jay was like good then i'll help you create a program for the next one you know exactly and that's and that's just it is is that working together is the way to do it Exactly. Because, you know, just because somebody has a disability doesn't mean they don't have something that they can offer the company. You right. know, if you've got a voice, great customer service. Mm -hmm. if, if you've got hands, great assembly. Right. I'm, if, a, I'm a podcaster that's blind because this was the easiest thing for me to do, you know. And that's the thing is, is that there's, there's, there's so much, there's so many opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. And so many different ways in which you know we can we can do things that especially with technology being what it is now right i told you know agree. and 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 it's you know it's time to it, it it's it's been time but you have to keep expanding on on you know what you're able to offer people with disabilities because you know you can easily find ways to employ different people with different disabilities yeah. i mean there, there's going to be, you know, a few exceptions that, you know, probably, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to have uh, an accommodation. And, and I mean, that's just mm -hmm. sometimes the nature of the job. Like but the, the, know, the, the person and the employer should come to terms with that together. Like, this is what we want you to do. I can't do that. Okay. Then you're resigning yourself to this position. Okay. Until one opens up that I might have a chance for. It should be communication, right. not, I think that we might have to give this guy a chance, give him a hose, you know, <laughs> like see if he can hold it between his legs. You can talk that out with that guy and say, Hey, we have this position that you could do. You're applying for this position that we're not sure if you can do, do you want to try it? Or do you want to talk through that? You know? Right. So that's, and that's, that's where it just gets, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunities, uh, you know, for example, like, you know, okay, you know, you might have 
let's say you've got somebody who, you know, can see perfectly, doesn't have any arms, but you have somebody, um, you know, who is, uh, let's say, let's see. So you got somebody who can, who can see and do something, but you have somebody who, you know, let's say that, you know, they're just visually impaired enough that, you know, they can do other things with their hands that the mm -hmm. person can't do. Is there a system that you can create in which person number one is doing something and guiding person number two, and they're working together to get a task done? Is that a possibility? Right. For the same price? Why not? But I think you to know, myself, what if Jeffrey applied for a job and said, yeah, I'm missing sight in one eye? I mean, that doesn't impair you at all. I mean, you drive, you do everything else, but the perception might be that he need he he isn't fully capable and so let's go on to the next guy and i feel AKA the same I can't be in the air force the, the same yeah i can't either but the same thing goes for the color of somebody's skin too or their like their gender like there's a lot of discriminating factors that just oh are absolutely. unwarranted but as far as disabilities go people should know to apply for these jobs because an employer should know you get a you get a really big tax break for employing the disabled and if mm -hmm. accommodating them is simple then i don't see why you wouldn't want the tax break for it it works well, for and everybody that way you know well and that's and i wouldn't even say that if the accommodation is simple if the accommodation is simple then it should be a no-brainer right period end of story if the accommodation requires a bit of work in order to adapt it, I mm -hmm. think that that's something that they also need to embrace as well. Of course, because, like you said, you know, you get a hell of a tax break for employing the disabled. Yeah. So, what does that look like if you're employing the disabled? Um, Accommodations and, are a write-off for for exactly, one exactly, exactly, and, and, and so now sorry and subsidized. So <laughs> exactly, and so and so now what ends up happening is you know a group of you know a, a company uh creates a new level of employability uh so they've widened their their base of potential applicants but not only that is an entire group of people now has an expanded employability level yeah. and i think that's fantastic too and and that's where that's where this gets tough you know i can only imagine like the number of people who um want to go to work but just can't because of you know whatever whatever disability they might have mm. but the question then becomes you know if they can't go to work is there a way that you can bring work to them in their own environment yep. and i think that through technology we're starting to see the rise of that and you know somebody might not be able to leave their house very easily and come into an office to go to work but thanks to technology you're now able to bring work to their home and the person who might have, you know, had difficulties leaving the house in order to do, you know, be a functioning member of society now is a functioning member of society from the comfort of their home right. and their the habitat that has been built around their disability. And again, they're looking for positions that fit their disability. Like we're not looking, we're, we're not actively trying there's advocates that try and push the system right disabled Absolutely. people tend not to be that <laughs> like we want we just want something that fits our life and then on top of that disability you said things that get in the way and a lot of that is the fact that we're not allowed to earn money like the thing is is it takes longer to train us than it does to get kicked off disability right so in, mm -hmm. in a week, if we get a paycheck, we're kicked off disability. But then in two weeks, when we find out we're not fit for the job, we have no income at all. So we tend not to apply for jobs. And the other thing is, is we can't save the money we would get. Like we can't defer that so that we can stay on the system long enough to find out if the job is a fit, which sometimes takes up to a year. So if we can't earn and we can't save, and we don't know if we can do the job to begin with, it's real tough to apply for a job and know that we're going to be accepted at the workplace. So we're looking for employers to reach out to us and say, hey, we want to give you guys a shot, you know, and maybe the interning thing is a way to go to where you just go and you're not necessarily paid, you know, your expenses are paid, but you're not given a check so that you know if, if you're a fit for the company, you know. And maybe, well, and that's... And that's this is where I have a fundamental problem with that because I have a problem with are... the system that's creating my solution. If that helps. Right. <laughs> well, so, and, and this is where it's like, you know, as somebody who, you know, champions businesses being able to create solutions 
what I have also seen is companies that quote unquote have solutions like that. But then after a year, you just get booted. It's like they use you for the time period that they need you for. And then you're just, you're disposable. And I think that's a problem in and of itself. And so that's where like, I, you end up seeing like a lot of companies use interns in order to get Uh um, like a specific labor need that they have done. And for them, you know, okay, yeah, you know, it sucks to have to train a new workforce every year, but when, you you know, the cost of training that workforce is far less than the cost of keeping them employed, Uh you know, for them that they've, you know, built, some have built that into their business model and it's right. And, and that's absolute dog shit. You can't, you shouldn't, you know, if you're, if your business model relies on, you know, free labor under the guise of I'm training you to be a part of the company and then you boot them mm-hmm. and they're not a part of the company, it's bullshit. Right. Uh, uh, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, look, if, you know, with internships, the way that I see them is, is that the, the, the position that you're interning at should have the reality of becoming a full-time position. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, you know, a company can't try out a a position and then they find out that it doesn't work. Right. But it's when they try out that position, quote unquote, they, you know, say, Hey, thanks for interning here. You know, here's Mm -hmm. your, here's your certificate of appreciation. And then they post that same position again, and hire, you know, bring in somebody else to intern for however long and do the same shit over and over and over. Oh, I get that. That's a, that needs that, that should be a paid position. And that to me is wage theft is what that boils down to the, the, the quote unquote guise of experience in order to capitalize on free labor. Okay. Then maybe I don't, I don't know. Like, I think you need to reform SSI disability to begin with. You know, I think you should allow us, I think it should be part of the process. They should grade up and grade down together. So if I'm, if I'm at a job and I'm earning a part-time income, then yes, disability supplements that as unemployment might. And then as I grow in the position, disability might lessen until it evens out. And I'm at a position that I'm comfortable at earning the same or more than I was on disability, but just well, ha- that's where you having, have- a, having a cutoff on a cutoff, like a, I might like this job. Good. Then you're not on disability anymore. But I don't like that's tough. That's, well, that's a tough one. Maybe. And maybe what the answer is, is that, you know, a person's allowed to be quote unquote on disability mm-hmm. for, for a year while they're trying to get employed, whatever, you know, if they're, if they are getting paid, right. Uh, if it's a paid position, then have the money, the government deposits the money into a trust that, If the position works out great, they just take that money back out and back into their system versus if it doesn't work out great, that money, you know, has been sat there and it's been saved. And now you shift back onto the system and that money still goes back into their funds because, you know, you were earning something in that during that time. Right. But now you're not, you know, sitting there going, ah, shit, what am I going to do? Right. You're paying back into the system in your SSI payments. Yeah. I mean, your weekly payment, your checks. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're, 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 you're employed, you're paying into the system as it is. So Mm -hmm. you don't get those funds that you were, that were being held in trust for you, but you're still technically on the system during that, you know, 12 month period. Right. And, you know, at that time comes the adjudication of whether or not, you know, this position has worked out for you and you're able to get off the system. Like that's, I mean, that should be the end goal is, you know, you know, you don't want people to try and, you know, you don't want people coming back into the system and then struggling and ultimately, you know, falling into these, you know, horrible abysses. Well, and it costs more to take care of me if I'm not on, if I'm not taking care of myself, it would cost more than what I get paid a month to take care of me if I wasn't getting paid. So that's, it's a lesser of two evils there for well and realistically too that putting that money into the trust the government can put that into a place where they're making money off of that money that's just being held and can't be touched right and so for them you know there's another way to potentially lessen their deficits right. so to me it makes sense you know it, it, there's there's a pathway there in which somebody has the chance to get off the system and the government has the chance to you know 
have that money put aside in a way that they're going to get back either way, one way or the other. Right. But they get to be a safety net to somebody that they're being a safety net to. It's just gradually less like, exactly. you know, if you're on disability and you get a grant to go back to school, you lose your disability because you had an income. That's a grant that allows you to go back to school. That's stupid, right? Like, you know, if you get married, you lose your insurance, like, that doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. These li- these little things don't make sense to me, and it it's weird because it wasn't always that way. And it's it's like a, a frog boiling in water. Nobody notices it because they're not paying attention to it. But these are well, being this like disability insurance, your retirement. This is being whittled down and cut down like they are doing to abortion and gun rights. It's just nobody notices this. You know what I mean? Well, and this is, and it's done, it's been done this way because, you know, when you lever leverage against, you know, your social security mechanisms in such a way in order to fund, you know, all these different complexes, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes incumbent upon them to figure out how to not have to pay out of that system. Right. And so they're figuring out every single possible way that they can to make sure that, you know, you don't have an option for, you know, draw withdrawing from a system that they've literally taken all the money out of. Right. So they got it first. So, so that's, that's the issue is, is that the money that was put aside should have never been touched. And I firmly believe that, you know, both sides of, of the political parties are going to have to have this reckoning of, we we really have to rebalance our budget and i think mm-hmm. we're going to i honestly do believe that at some point we're going to be in for some really painful cuts yeah because um we just you know we're not doing the things that we need to do in order to keep ourselves out of debt and fulfill promises that we actually made to the american people right you know i was listening to an interesting i was listening to an interesting program about when uh, these different income taxes took effect in, in, on NPR. And one of the things that they talked about was how, you know, when it came to taxes, it used to only be the ultra wealthy that were taxed. But during the war, uh, during the war, Roosevelt had introduced, you know, these different income taxes and how, you know, you, you know, they would come up, you know, as ways of number one, tamping down inflation, number two, paying for um, the war. Right. And, you know, you had all of these different slogans about how American it was to pay taxes. And, you know, now you have a group of people that are royally pissed off because they're paying taxes. They're not getting anything out of it. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we're in so much fucking debt right now that, you know, like it's, it's like, you know, somebody who got a hold of, got a hold of the credit card and didn't understand that there was a fucking limit on the thing. That's how I always look at it. It's a spouse that just took your credit card on a shopping spree and you got to pay it, but you didn't get any of the benefits of it. Exactly. So that's, that's one of those things where, um, there's going to be a reckoning that comes along with that high mm-hmm. national debt and, it's going to be really, really, really unfortunate. The unfortunate thing is the people that are doing the deciding, like you de- you're deciding to cut the, the, you're deciding to cut the budget on the poor, but you're not doing it on military spending. You're not doing it on your own salaries or benefits. You're not, you're not doing it in ways that would affect the top 1%. You're doing it against the 99%. People, if you, if you get rid of the payroll tax, you get rid of social security. If there's no social security in five years, then you just wasted all of that money that you put into social security. You know what I mean? Like that's gone. You, Mm -hmm. you paid into it and now you're not going to get it. So that's stupid. But cutting it and increasing defense or the military it just doesn't make sense to me we're not in any wars like that trillions of dollars that goes into our military complex should be coming back to us to to create the safety net of peace and prosperity you know what i mean should be absolutely i don't disagree with that that's one bit. The, that's the balance i think we're either at war and we are all struggling together or we're going for peace and prosperity and we're lifting everyone up. And that's what the safety net does. Medicare, Medicaid, social security, disability, all of those programs. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I found a really great story, Jeffrey, and I don't mean to stay on this topic. It wasn't my intentions. And in fact, I didn't really create anything on my list based on it, but I saw this story. The North Macedonia president walks an 11 year old girl with down syndrome to school because he had heard that she was being bullied 
by not only her classmates, but their parents. And I just, I had, I asked the question, I mean, people wonder what it, what they can do to make the world better in the way that they want. And the, the answer is the right thing at the right moment. And this guy, I mean, I'm really happy about this story. I want to promote this. He just, the president heard about bullying and walked this girl to school. That is amazing. And that's in, that's in North Macedonia. That's not in the United States. Oh, you know, you know, you know damn good and well that those school officials are shitting themselves after uh-huh. that one. Good, good. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, so here's the thing, like, let's, let's I'm going to step away from the government side of things and, and just mm-hmm. address individuals, people. It costs you exactly zero dollars to just let people be right. And, and, and the idea that you need to fucking say something is usually so minimal that, that that's ever the case. It's just fucking dumb. And you find yourself digging your, you digging your own grave somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I tell this story, uh, uh, there's a couple of stories that uh, I'll share, um, from my past. So, you know, as somebody who was bullied, um, you know, it used to be that I struggle. I, I did struggle with, with that. I mean, you know, I was called every name under the sun. I was a short fat kid. It would just, it was what it was. Um, but you know, kids are particularly cruel and it's not great. Hey. But as I got into high school and people realized that I was, you know, smarter than pretty much everybody else, I ended up, I ended up in charge of a lot of organizations. One organization, um, you know, there were only 40 kids in my high school and the membership in that organization was 33 out of the 40 high schoolers. So I effectively had most of the high school in my organization. We had a kid that was getting bullied, um, and you now I wouldn't say that I had befriended the kid, but I understood where he was and he didn't, you know, there were some things that he did that didn't exactly do him himself any favors, Right. but I don't know that me included ever really sat down with him and said, look, dude, you know, these are some things that you got to take care of. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I don't know what you got to do in order to make sure that you're doing this, but you got to do it anyways. So there were some members that were bullying him during you know, organization time. And of course, you know, not. And as the president of the organization, I laid it down very, very calmly. Like I I started out our meeting and I I said, I'm going to open this up and we're going to, I'm going to address something that's going to be very uncomfortable for some people. You know, it has come to my attention that we have an individual that is being bullied that is a part of this organization. What you need to understand is, is that this organization is a team. We win championships together. We have won a lot of contests together. And, and if any one person on the team is bullying another person, it creates a friction on the team that is going to inhibit our success. Mm. And quite frankly, I'm done with it. I know who it is. I know who you are. That's been doing this. And I will have you removed from the organization if this continues. I'm giving you this chance to fix it. It costs you nothing to leave a person alone. And one person was like, well, you can't do that. And I said, yes, I can. I will code of conduct you out of this organization. And then, you know, they're like, there's no way he can do that. And the advisor said, actually, yes, he can. No vote. Literally me in power, just removing you from the organization doing the right thing in the right moment. And that's the thing is like, you know, was that, could that have been an abuse of power? Not a, I don't think so. If it was against code of conduct, but I could see where people could use that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the thing is, is, is that, you know, when power steps up and gets involved, you know, for the good of people, you know, I didn't make an example out of a person that day. I could very well have. Right. No, there's a, but, there's a rule. If you have an issue with somebody handle it privately first, right? Mm-hmm. So you did the right thing by keeping it generic. They decided to call themselves out, right? Exactly. I'm like, and, and that was the funny thing too, is it was the exact person who was like, you can't do that. Right. I was like, yes, I can. And I will. 
And so, and that was, you know, that was that person's only escape from getting out of town and going and doing things. You know, they weren't in, you know, they weren't in, you know, a number of other activities that Mm -hmm. would get you out of town to go do stuff. So, you know, things smoothed out for the remainder of my time there, you know, and I can't really speak to what happened afterwards, but I can say that, you know, that problem got solved for that year. Yeah. I always say, and I think if you're going to, I think it got if you're going to bully somebody or troll somebody instead, go bake a pie with that time. And when you're done, you'll have a pie. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I know that we like try and like neutral zone discussions and have empathy for everybody involved. I never had empathy for a bully. That's like an internal struggle. They need to work on once that it's addressed that they're a bully. Once you know, you're a bully, you should be doing something about that because then as an adult, right. you're just going to be a horrible person. <laughs> Right. If I've gone unchecked, <clears throat> there's always a bigger bully, right? And you're going to piss mm-hmm. somebody off and you're going to piss like, but a lot of us, we don't know what to do, but just standing behind somebody that that's being bullied is often without saying a word, something that changes things. So I mm-hmm. love the fact that this president, despite his power was like, yeah, I'm going to walk her to school because that's not fair because that's what, that's what inspires me. Right. It right. Inspires me to then do that for somebody that I see having an issue. And that's, and that's the thing is, is that, you know, you know, this person who's at the high, who's at the peak of the power in their country is literally, you know, showing that, you know, by, you know, you're giving power to somebody just by being there with them right? that they didn't have before. And, you know, what's going to happen? What are these, you know, what are these parents going to do, you know, sit down and go, yeah, well, the president's not here to protect you. You know, what if the president then goes, okay, then I'm going to create some anti-bullying laws and it's now a, you know, a five-year federal prison sentence for bullying children. Yeah. (laughs) You talk about, talk about getting your shit straight real quick. You know, number one, if you're an adult bullying a kid, you really need to go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's incredibly insane. Like agree that, that is, that is literally the definition of peaked in high school and parents. Yeah. And parents were making fun of her and she's, that's, that's, I mean, set it aside that she's just the most adorable little Macedonian girl, but this is in Macedonia. This isn't in Germany or Sweden or America, the liberal democracies like Canada, you know, it's like North Macedonia, like we can't emulate that here in America. Like <laughs> I had to find my inspiration in North Macedonia today. That's a shame. We should all be better. You know, and, and that's and that's one of those and that's one of those things where it's like by by using that um, by using that power to call attention to that issue. Yeah, you know, the president really did a good thing in that, and I think that that's going to lend to some things getting solved. Mm-hmm. But I think. I think I had this point bullies attempt to make your world very small so that they are the only person in it. Right. But Mm -hmm. uh, by doing that, they isolate you from all the help, all the people that would support you. So make your world bigger. A bully will try and intimidate you into silence. You have to be louder. A bully will attempt to beat you into submission. You have to get beaten. You just have to prove that you're, you're not going to, accept their worldview it's bigger than what they're saying they're not the only one in charge of your life so tell people you know absolutely somebody told me they were bullying somebody i'd punch them in the nutsack (laughs) oh dude i don't have i don't have time or patience for bullies i really don't so um all right I had a rooster question, but it seems waste of time. So Marco Rubio started this. I got up at I got up at like I get up at six in the morning. I'm on Twitter and I'm editing. And Marco Rubio had this thing that said that uh, the Biden administration was dispersing meth and crack pipes to the inner city youth. To um, I don't know why, but I had a real issue with it. In fact, I tweeted him, and then I tweeted him again, and I told him he maybe he needs to reconsider that. Then I called his office. Then the next day, I eventually reported it as <laughs> misinformation. It's a it's a split hair information. It's not 
accurate. You know what I mean? And I, and, and then on the news, they, they addressed it for like five minutes and they showed Marco Rubio's post and they were like, what are we going to do about this? Nobody pushes it back on this. And I was like, just scroll down. I'm right there. <laughs> right. But there's this conception that we're all just accepting it. And I think like in my position, I, you're not on Twitter as much. I am. I, I push back on Twitter. We push back with this podcast, the live streams, our clips everywhere. We push back against that stupidity, you know? And so mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring it up that Marco Rubio, like he had a op real opportunity to shut up, be a leader and do things in a dignified way for the people of Florida. But he instead chose in this, in this splitting Republican party to go radical to go weird to go nonsensical right and so I, there's a division of these people the the radical and the normal and i want marco rubio to realize that he's pandering to a supremacist party as a cuban american it just seems off <laughs> right and if you're not doing anything for the people of florida other than just feeding them red meat you're gonna lose i hope please <laughs> public access America. It's always funny because, like, you know, especially because as you know, libertarians, we get a ton of shit, even amongst other libertarians. I think political philosophy is a lot like religion, and where there's moments you have to go on faith and trust what somebody else is saying. The main, the main focus is it's like less dependence on the government because, well, we've seen how that's gone, and you don't have to do that if you think about it in a human way. You know, more dependence on connections with each other. So you can always bring it back to what would one human do for another? What would a hundred do for a hundred? People looking out for people. Find Public Access America anywhere you find your favorite podcast every Sunday and Thursday. And join the chat on YouTube at Public Access America every Sunday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Communities looking out for community. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. In the making. In the making. So this is one of those cases where you know, this could have been avoided, but the government also does themselves no favors. Mm -hmm. You know, like I get it, like these packs of these packs that they were wanting to, you know, send out, you know, as a way of, you know, harm reduction is, is the idea. Right. Um, you know, this is where by, by putting that information out there, it's like, Hey, we're looking at putting out harm reduction, you know, packets, you know, right. packages for people. Here's what's included in them. You know, in, in some cities, for example, like, I don't know that the feds would actually do this. And I, I, I didn't get a chance to see what's in all of these packages. It's subsidies like, and the packages are, are, yes, you're right. They're created for the, where that they need. <laughs> Right. So like, it's like things like toiletries and, and shit like that. Right. And, and, you know, like for example, here in, you know, Washington, you know, they have like a needle exchange program. Right. That's what they were you know, complaining. They took clean needle programs as meth pipes. And that's, that's, that's where you just lose people. It's like where it slid off the rational. Yeah. Some people are buying clean needles to put in their kits for people in of addiction and homelessness and people that are in need they didn't give them crack pipes you know <laughs> yeah it's like like the the this weird republican idea it's like all right they're including lighters and spoons and crack pipes and it's like no they're fucking not right it's like look you know you can have the discussion about the clean needle program mm -hmm. you know and whether or not it encourages drug use or not what it does do definitely is it um, reduces the spread of transmissible diseases that are very harmful, like HIV and things like that. Sure. You know, hepatitis, and, right? Wow. You know, and and like the problem is, is that if you if you want people to not be doing drugs and using needles, then you need to have programs in place that mm -hmm. offer solutions like methadone programs to help get people off of drugs to begin with. Right. And so, you know, that's one of those things where it's like, okay, you can bitch about the needles all you want, but if you don't want people passing out needles, then what you need to have are programs passing out methadone instead. Well, or a combination of the two. If you offer a safe place to shoot heroin, I don't know how to say that in technical terms. What you, what you do is you put the need with the advocate 
that can offer right, a solution, right? Like a clean needle exchange. If you're going to the people that need the needles, you're having a chance to discuss this with the people and offer them options. Exactly. And that's, and that's exactly it. This is a, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of that whole gradual step. How do you get somebody off of something that, you know, mm -hmm. that you don't want them to be on and to be, and uh, to begin with. And, and I would argue in, in a lot of cases that they don't want to be on to begin with. Addiction's right. a hell of a problem, Yeah, but you know, you know, Sure, you you may not wanting them, you know, using needles, but if you're already treating them for drug addiction, do you really want to be treating them for drug addiction and hepatitis or drug addiction and HIV for, or drug addiction and fucking gangrene when, you know, they get something tainted mm -hmm. uh, and their fucking arm is going to have to be amputated? Right. You know, those are, those are, you know, the drug addiction, like this is the sunk cost. The drug addiction problem is already there. Mm -hmm. And all you're going to do end up doing is pushing people into things like fucking fentanyl, for example. Right. Yeah. Which is drastically rising amongst teens, um, fentanyl deaths among amongst inner exactly, teens. Exactly. But yeah, but, what you're saying by is offering, accurate, by the way, by yeah. giving somebody a needle and methadone, then you're giving them a solution. Like it's what I was just thinking is if you give somebody a sex prevention speech, right. And a rubber, then they're more likely to take your advice than just a speech. And so giving somebody a clean needle and telling them a path puts a, a virus of a thought in their head that can grow. And when they right. are sick of that addiction, when they're like, God, take me and kill me, they might think of your option as a different, as, as something different than death. And that's exactly. awesome because we want people we want people to be happy and clean. Drugs are just a way to keep us out of the process. It's one of the many ways that was created to keep us out of the process, right? And so having people Absolutely. that are intelligent, smart, and clean just betters the nation. So yeah, and that's and that's really the trick of it is is that you know you can't you can't bitch about what's happening without offering a proper solution. And the proper yes. and and a proper solution isn't well, just don't do drugs. Okay, well, just don't be an asshole. Right. That is, that's not working. No, and that's the thing is anybody who has ever had to deal with anybody in addiction knows that, you know, offering support in various ways, not necessarily funding their habit. Right. But by making sure that, you know, you're not having to deal with multiple comorbidities is the important part of the process. But from there, you have to give them options. To, you know, you have to give them off ramps. Mm-hmm. And eventually they'll take an off ramp. That's right. Most of them will. You're not going to get everybody. And that's, and that's yeah. the reality is you're not going to get everybody. Some people, you know, they're, they're going to do what they're going to do, but there's a vast majority of people out there that are like, I don't want to do this. This yeah. is awful, but I'm stuck. I'm addicted. I can't right. get off of this, you know? And, and, and then on top of that, you know, for the people who are getting off of it and the people who are on methadone, you know, they're getting vilified and unable to work mm -hmm. because of the fact that they were once addicted to something. And so you just end up perpetuating the cycle of, you know, people being treated like trash, not being able to be employable, not having access to services, mm -hmm. getting shit on for, you know, trying to do the, the their addiction as safe as possible. But, you know, either way, it's like, you know, we'll just shove them off into the corner. We're not going to deal with it. And that's not the way that you do that. If you... If right. you want something to stop, you have to give, you know, it's, you have to give multiple solutions that are going to give people an offer based on the area that they're needed in. Like, like we always say, like, and I agree with you here in the state's right theory that the national, the national assistance can't be so general that it doesn't help somebody in Montana as well as somebody in New York, you know, it needs exactly. to be tailored to the area, but why the fuck does Mike Marco Rubio suddenly pop up caring about urban kids, right? <laughs> like, like you're not addressing something in Florida specifically. You're generally addressing some national uh, funding, and that's just ridiculous to me. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't pretend to care. You you and does he not want people to find a relief from addiction? Like is he is he what he what is he saying that this program shouldn't be funded and that we shouldn't help people that are dealing with addiction? That's weird to not me. Not a good not a good look, you know. Right, and that's the thing is is like you know especially for the conservative group who wants to see people you know supposedly be these you know godly versions of themselves. Right, like, look. 
you have to, you know, you have to give the sinner the chance to repent, you know, in, in using the words of, mm-hmm. of, of the Bible. And the answer to that, you know, the thing about repentance isn't just this weird instant, aha, I am better, Mir- miracles, right. mirac- you know, the miraculous has happened. Yeah. You know, repentance is, a, you know, especially growing up in, uh, as a Catholic, repentance is a process. I it like is that. not magic. Right. And so much like, much like, you know, the idea of sin and repentance, the idea of being able to, you know, deal with your problems that you know are harmful is a process. It is mm-hmm. not instantaneous. Right. Just simply making somebody go off cold, you know, go off cold turkey creates a whole slew of other problems that are not going to get fixed. And it's just going to make the actual problem that was there worse. Right. But by allowing there to be a process to get people there and embracing the process, you know, Great. You know, then that's, you know, the hope is, is that number one, you know, whatever you're supplying in terms of clean needles will eventually reduce because you're going to give people the options and tools to get away from that. Right. And with the understanding that, you know, you're never going to get everybody off of that. The question is, is, you know, what are you willing to spend on? Needles are a hell of a lot cheaper than HIV and hepatitis treatment or, you know, having somebody have to get an amputation done at a hospital and they don't have any money to afford that. So the taxpayers are then funding that needles seem like a hell of a lot better option mm-hmm. than all of those other ones a hell of a lot cheaper option and creating processes that help them get away and i think that's going to be and i think that's really what the answer is we're towards the end do you have anything any uh final statement wrap up um i would i would say that um so what i would say in terms of all of these things, like we're, we're a society of instant gratification and we have to accept that there are some things that you're not going to get instant gratification on. Um, you're not going to get instant gratification on, uh, somebody getting off of their drug addiction. You're not going to get instant gratification. Um, somebody, uh, you know, that somebody with a disability getting into, you know, a place where they're, you know, going to be them, their best selves, you know, like, like, uh, Jace, you know, said, it's like, you know, with them being the first one, great. I'll help you create the program for the second and that program for the second one, you know, you know, that program for the second person to get hired, isn't going to be perfect either, but it's a starting point and that's going to get built on and it's going to get better. And, you know, people have to have the expectation that, you know, the first steps are always going to be the roughest. And once, once you get past those first steps, it gets a lot smoother and it doesn't matter whether you're hiring somebody who's disabled or getting somebody off of drugs. I like that. I think you can run, you can run, you can create negativity and you can run from its effects, but when you stop, that's when it catches up and then you have to deal with that negativity as a backlash until you can finally settle into a positivity. You have to deal with what you created before you can move on to a place where you don't have to, you know? Thanks for being here. Public Access America. We love you all. We will see you next Thursday. To those who would tear. We will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and a yielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not yes, we can. what your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. I, poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome, welcome to public public access America. America.
Yes, we can. Sunday live stream time, YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Twitter. Apple Podcasts, Podcast, Stitcher, Stitcher Smart, Smart Radio, 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 Radio Public, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.